Okay, welcome everybody to episode 8 of the Bomber Brothers podcast presented by the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan with you as always and we'll also be joined by Katie Sharp later on. You can catch her on, on Twitter and at, on the Talking Yanks podcast just with always the best of Yankee stats. Uh, but first, Sean, we've got uh, more wins to talk about and a big upcoming series against the Red Sox. But uh, before we look ahead, let's look back real quick to the week that was since we last talked. Uh, a 5-2 and two stretch for the Yankees. Could have easily been 6-1 and one had it not been for a really bad hop to Gio Urshela. But, I mean, nevertheless, there was still a great comeback involved in that game. The Yankees showed plenty of fight, and here they are in, in first place. Yeah, I mean, heck, heck of a week. A couple... That last Thursday night win against, or last Thursday afternoon after we recorded, win against the Orioles was nuts. With the Orioles scoring, you know, four runs in the eighth inning, and then the Yankees getting a bases loaded walk to win the game. But um, the 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 train just keeps on moving. I mean, you know, they're thirteen and three in their last sixteen games now, and all, all three of the losses are only by one run. So it's not like they're, you know. It's not like they're getting their doors blown off as of late. They're they're in every single game. It, it's fun to watch every single night. Yeah, absolutely. And the standings, the records show it. And hopefully, some reinforcements coming. One that we saw yesterday with with um, James Paxson going four hitless innings against the Padres, and he looked great. The velocity wasn't exactly 98-99 but he was still throwing a solid 96 consistently which is you know I don't think something that would concern you given that he's been off for a while so and, and good, the the impressive thing I mean he has obviously threw four no hit innings but I think he only had the one walk right the leadoff walk in the third inning I think was the only only walk he had yeah and, and seven strikeouts I think I think five of his first seven pitches resulted in swings and misses, so he was sharp pretty much right out of the gate, which is great to see. The Yankees really need some rotation help because the bullpen has been getting used a lot and probably will be again this weekend with using an opener and not sure what kind of length CC Sabathia can give you since he's coming back from the IL. We'll see how Domingo Herman fares, but... Paxson is definitely a, a welcome sight back in the Bronx and a sign that that help is finally uh, starting to arrive. Didi Gregorius as well progressing very well in, in the minor leagues for his rehab assignment. Yeah, played AAA last night, uh, made a nice play at shortstop, went 0 for 3, but one of those O's was a, a line out to deep right. So, um, you know, just, just like with Hicks, he'll probably take his time. Uh, getting his t- his timing down, but I mean that's one thing we we're never going to worry about with Didi is the bat. Um, I don't think we'll worry about anything with Didi except just making sure that elbow feels fine. I mean I think he's definitely one of our top top favorite players on the team and one of the guys that makes you just feel great when he's out there. So seeing him, you know, just one call away is is awesome. And I think Brian Hoke or somebody just tweeted a little while ago. Circle um, June fourth. Um, when they go to Toronto as the DD return date, which um, is a lot earlier than I think anybody expected. Um, he's going to beat back Stanton, which is a big surprise, and, and I'm, I'm excited for this. Absolutely. DD is my favorite player, so I'm super excited to see him back. Uh, and, and in the meantime, his replacements are still doing a phenomenal job. You, 
You have uh, DJ LeMahieu taking Chris Paddock very deep yesterday to uh, <laughs> start the bottom of the first part. Of I didn't the- know LeMahieu had that in him. Sorry no. to cut you off. No, it was a, it was a no doubter. You you rarely you rarely get to see LeMahieu just kind of drop the bat and go for a jog right out of the box. He knew it was gone, so did everybody else. And then we got a great uh, trademark Luke Voigt gallop uh, in the next at bat when he crushed a home run. I think that was over the uh, over the Padres bullpen. But uh, it was it was nice to see the Yankees uh, tee off early on one of who, someone who's been one of the most electric starters in the league. Obviously, he settled down after that, but he still gave up a home run to Urshela later on. So, a lot of these Yankee contributors that have been possibly overperforming beyond expectations, like Lemayhu and Urshela, those guys still still getting it done. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I think what makes it so much fun to watch guys like this is that when you get late in the game and you get one of them that gets maybe a lucky seeing eye single or, or, or something like that, it definitely feels like the old days. And I'm talking like the, the late nineties where you'd get like this sort of rally that would just spring up out of nowhere. And it's like this train just starts leaving the station. And before you know it, you got a couple guys on and, you know, just like the game on, um, uh, on Tuesday night, even though they lost five to four, they, they were losing five to one in the eighth inning, and they to to come back. It makes it fun. Like I said, every night you have different heroes, you have different guys that you'll get the team back in the game. Um, you know, and it, it's it's not just um, these sort of unsung guys, like you were saying. It, you know, Lemayhew and Urshela have been great stories, and they're really fun to watch. And um, but when you look at who's who's contributing the most per game um you know gary sanchez already has amassed 1.2 war and that's in only 37 games um the most per game the most wins above replacement per game for any player on the team shortly behind glaber torres is is glaber torres who's uh just been phenomenal so when you have these two guys who Sanchez last year, we were like, well, coming into this year, I know we still believed in Sanchez, but there were some doubts. And then Torres and, you know, you're like sophomore slump, what's going to happen? And to see them do what they've done, um, sprinkle in what Luke Voigt has done. I mean, this team right now is really fun to watch and we're missing who I would consider the two most fun players and most exciting players to watch in um, Judge and, 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 uh, and Didi. Stanton not far behind, but just what Didi does all around. So I'm really excited. I, I know Boston's coming in this weekend, and we'll talk about that. But when we look at when we look at June, I mean, we could be seeing three huge players coming back. Possibly, I mean, I don't know if Judge will be back in June, but he's started to swing. So I mean, I'm assuming we're about a month away. Yeah, you hit off a tee back on Tuesday, I believe that was, or Monday. Um, either way, that's obviously an. Inc- encouraging sign I still think it's a long road back for him especially given uh the nature of oblique injuries and Judge has even admitted that maybe he won't feel 100% for the entire season that's just how it is with swinging a bat with uh an oblique that suffered a what seems to be a pretty serious strain but without Judge the Yankees have still been chugging along they're in they're in first place and you you look ahead at these four games against Boston, who have now lost two in a row, but we get a much improved sale in the opening game on Thursday. But with the Red Sox now, I believe seven games back, this is a 
this is really an opportunity to kind of put a, a huge gap between the two. I know, obviously, it's the Rays that are nipping at the Yankees' heels, but the Red Sox are still obviously a formidable opponent who you don't want to see uh, put it, put everything together and start playing like they did last year. But this is an opportunity to really, really put a, a safe distance between between themselves and, and Boston. Yeah, I, th- I think this weekend sets up pretty pretty poorly for the Yankees with the state of the rotation and, and the bullpen um, having been having been overworked as of late. And you know you're going to get pretty much two bullpen days with CC start and um, the opener day, whenever that is. And then you throw in that Hap is going to start a game and Herman, who hasn't been throwing well, is going to is going to start a game too. It's really lined up for Boston to to kind of get back into this. But I also think on the flip side that if you get a couple representative starts, uh, it really gives the Yankees a chance to take an advantage because the Boston, the Red Sox bullpen is the Red Sox bullpen, not to be too Mike Francesa. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, we've seen, <laughs> we've seen what kind of carnage can come out of there. So it gives the Yankees an opportunity to sort of flex what, what their strength is versus the Red Sox weaknesses. If, if they can keep these games close, I think it could be an exciting series for sure. Um, but yeah, it's an opportunity to bury them before June or as June hits. Um, and I, I don't want to pass it up for sure. And I I hope that with the day game yesterday, it kind of gives everybody a half day off, uh, leading into the series. They're all night games. So you don't have to day game after a night game with Sanchez thing. Although I'm sure they'll probably give him a rest somewhere in there. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe a DH in one of the games, but I don't think he should be out of the lineup for any of those four games, especially the way he's hit the Red Sox in his career. <laughs> and yeah, did, did he, well, and, and you have lefties going three of the four games. Did he DH yesterday or he didn't? No, Sanchez didn't play at all yesterday. Yeah. Oh, so he should be fine for four games. Yeah. Throw him out there. Yeah, we need him. It's, and, and you're right. With, and, with the way and they pitching. have a, Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to interject. They have an off day on Monday. So four games and then an off day. No problem. Yeah. No, that's fine. They, they need them. They need all the run production they can get for this series because the pitching, like you said, could become a little bit of a, a shaky spot. We're not sure how Domingo Herman is going to bounce back, and we talked about this with Katie, but he, uh, he has been on the decline, which kind of hit a climax on Sunday when he gave up four home runs to the Royals. That obviously wasn't uh, what, what you wanted to see, and I think every one of those home runs were on almost different pitches he gave up his first home run given up was on a curve he gave up a home run on a fastball on a on a change up so uh, a lot of things not working as efficiently as they were earlier in the season but the Yankees could really use some kind of length out of him to protect the bullpen that's going to be going uh, for a full day whether it be the day before or the day after Herman's start we'll see and then again need some length from Sabathia who you know hasn't really can't really give the Yankees too much length anymore. It's just where he's at in his career, and he's uh, back of the rotation starter, but one that can also still be effective. We saw playoffs aside, we saw him put together some very good starts against the Red Sox last year when their offense was really clicking. So hopefully fresh cortisone shot in that knee. It's feeling a lot better, and he can go six innings. We'll see, but the Yankees definitely need some length from from their starters. And I haven't even mentioned Jay Happ yet, who has been one of the bigger disappointments in the rotation so far this season. He is going to have to live up to what his numbers have been against Boston throughout his career. So the bullpen can stay fresh for this weekend. 
Yeah, that's that's the wild card is half tonight. Does he, you know, do what he's done against the Red Sox? And I mean, he has shown a couple flashes this season. When he has his command, he's good, but he hasn't had his command too often. We'll see. And then obviously the big question mark with the rotation is, and I believe it's Saturday at midnight. Um, where does Dallas Keuchel go? Because the draft pick compensation comes off and the Yankees are rumored to be one of the suitors. He's lowered his contract demands. I think he wants a one-year $18 million deal. Fine. <laughs> I mean, why? they're already over the luxury tax this year. It, it, it's better than giving up prospects. And, I mean, Keuchel, he's on the decline. But if you get him for one year, who cares? I mean, if it doesn't work out, you just waste a little bit of money. And then you could go get a guy at the end of July anyway. So, I mean, go go for it. You know, he has a good good postseason reputation. Um, and, I mean, if yeah, just go get Keiko for Christ's sake. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't even think this should be something that's debated too much, to be honest. I know he could be rusty, but, you know, the Yankees have sent scouts to, to look at him recently. They're one of six reported teams involved, one of them being the Rays. So just get him just to keep him away from, from Tampa Bay and, and to protect yourself from if, if Herman continues to slide and shows that he can't get hold up over a full major league season, which is certainly a very high possibility. And also if it takes Severino a little longer to come back than expected, if Hap continues to struggle, if CC shows some decline and that knee starts barking again, there's so many factors that suggest the Yankees need rotation insurance. And there's a guy out there in a few days that will cost you nothing but money, something the Yankees obviously have plenty of. And if it's for one year, I, I really don't see this as much of a debate. I think they should be on the phone with him as soon as, as this you know deadline, quote-unquote, passes. 100% agree. All right. Well, uh, we can uh, talk to Katie Sharp now, I guess. Let's right. let's hear let's hear what let's hear the numbers behind what we've been seeing and enjoying. Yeah, absolutely. Katie came on and talked to us about all of the recent trends around the Yankees, both pleasant surprises and uh, building potential disappointments like Herman on the mound, Clint Frazier in right field. Uh, she definitely helped shed a lot of light on what's going on among all those topics. So here is Katie Sharp. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're joined now by Katie Sharp. You can catch her on Twitter at KT Sharp and some of the best Yankee stats around while you're following a game. And you can also catch some of her analysis and great Yankee statistical nuggets on the Talking Yanks podcast. Uh, Katie, thanks so much for coming back on and talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, great season. It's always great talking Yankees with uh, fellow fans and stat hounds and and guys who just uh, enjoy the game a lot. 
Absolutely, and you obviously enhance that experience when you're following along on Twitter while watching the game and always get these these great stats, and it's even more fun when the Yankees are winning baseball games, and, and here we are heading into this Boston series with the Yankees in first place through at roughly the 50-game mark, which is you know when a lot of people start saying, okay, you know, it, now, now it's okay to start looking at the standings, and the Yankees are in first place, so Given how this is kind of an unofficial checkpoint of, of the season, how have the Yankees fared historically in the past when they've been in first place up to this point in the season? How, how has their record fared moving forward the rest of the year? Uh, well, it's uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, th- first of all, like this doesn't happen very often that the Yankees win 33 or more. They were at 33 and 17 at the 50 game mark uh, this year. Um so this is only basically only the third time in the wild card era. So going back to 1995, kind of the modern era of the playoff system, that they've had 33 or more wins at this 50 game mark. Um, the other times it happened was last year, which we know resulted in, unfortunately, in a wild card because the Red Sox decided they needed to win 108 games. Uh, and then the other time it happened was in 1998, which ended up much better uh, for Yankee teams. Um, so that's in the wild card era. And if you go back even further, um, let's go back 60 years or in the divisional era to 1960. It's only happened two other times that they had 33 wins in their first 50 games. So this is, we're going, we're looking at like 50, 60 years of Yankee history here. Um, and one of those teams was the 1994 team which unfortunately um, did not did not do anything because there was nothing to play for at the end of the season, obviously, with the strike. Um, and the other team was the 1988 team, which did not fare so well. They faded very fast after their hot start. Um, they went 52 and 60 the rest of the season uh, and uh, finished fifth in a, in a 17 AL East. So there's some good news. There's some bad news. But, uh, you know, all of that is is just kind of history. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I like the Yankees chances, especially now that they are they do have, a, you know, first place standing. Um, they are at this point, I believe it's a six or seven games ahead of the Red Sox. And uh, I think a, a couple games clear of the Rays. So um, they are definitely put themselves in contention this year. Absolutely. Let's hope the rest of the season is more like 98 than 88. I think we can all agree exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, this has obviously been a pleasant surprise, and there's been plenty of individual pleasant surprises, a lot of production coming from unlikely areas. And uh, a lot of that has come from guys coming up in big spots, producing with the bases loaded, with runners in scoring position. Clint Frazier, Urshela, LeMahieu are names that come to mind. Do you do you see this as a sustainable trend throughout the season with the team coming through in these big spots? And who has impressed you the most coming up in those kind of situations? Um, well, I mean, the good news is, you know, kind of the one thing I think you guys probably are talking about is the their performance with runners in scoring position. Um, and it's a bit of a mixed bag, actually. I, I don't want to, you know... I don't want to put anybody uh, to shame here or kind of dim anybody's hopes. But, um, you know, right now, 
they have, I think it's the third best batting average. So with runners in scoring position, but the other problem is that they only have the 10th best on base percentage and the 14th best slugging percentage. And this is out of the entire, you know, out of MLB. Um, and to go along with that high batting average, I believe it was about 280. Um, it was heading into uh, last night's game. They had a 321 BAPIP, uh, which is batting average on balls in play. And that's that's quite high. It's you know usually a league average bat, uh, batting average on balls in play is about 300. And so that actually worries me a little bit because of the low on base percentage and because of the low slugging that. If that BAFIP somehow, you know, which is probably going to regress, um, there is no, I mean, there's no statistical evidence that it could stay this, that it could stay that high. Teams have maintained a high BAFIP um, with runners in scoring position for an entire season, but it's not likely. Um, and then the fact that they really haven't been able to generate other ways of getting on base and driving in runners with scoring position um, because of the low on base percentage and the lower slugging, um, that that's what worries me. And there there is one stat that I I just that really really got to me when I was looking at when I was looking into this uh, this this uh, this metric um, and you know their performance with runners in scoring position is that. They have only 31 extra base hits in the um, in, with runners in scoring position. They have 13 doubles, which is the fewest in the majors by a lot, by I think four or five. And they have no triples, and they have 18 home runs, which is about middle of the pack. And so their 31, those 31 extra base hits, are is one of the bottom five uh, numbers in the league, um, and. You know, in my opinion, uh, you know, singles are are okay with runners in scoring position. Yes, you you, you can move the the runner on, and, and sometimes it scores a run. But to me, the most important thing I think with runners in scoring position is getting that bigger hit, getting that double, getting that extra base hit, which pretty much ensures that you're going to score because runners in scoring position implies, you know, it, well, it doesn't imply it means that you got have a guy on second or third. Um, and a double will usually drive in that guy. Um, so that is that is another concern for me going forward. Um, so I, I wish I could say that absolutely this is going to be sustainable. But um, but really, you know, I I can't really say that because because those numbers with the the, the walk rate is is 10th. The on base percentage I said is 10th and the low slugging and. Just the lack of big hits um, it sort of has me worried. Um, so I don't know what you guys have seen, but that is definitely something that I think people are going to be watching the rest of the season. I Yeah, Katie, I, I definitely agree. And, and one of the things that kind of makes me feel better is that um, you have guys like Stanton and Judge on the way back who would provide a lot more of that that big impact, those big impact hits that you're talking about. And, and Aaron Hicks obviously is, is an on-base percentage, uh, uh, God, I guess he, he get you know, <laughs> on base all the time last year, but in their, in their absence, uh, Clint Frazier has come up and his bat is starting to live up to the hype, but his defense has been really shaky. Um, do you think his defensive lapses have outweighed his contributions on offense thus far? You know, I'm really torn on this subject. Um, 
because yeah, I mean, I've I've tweeted out some of his stats and and they're still really bad. He's depending on which sort of a flavor of the metric of defensive metrics that you use, he's pretty bad. If you just look at his catching ability and that's what uh StatCast does um with their outs above average and their catch probability statistics um he is the worst in major league baseball um there there's no there's no getting around it um he is 11 outs below average <laughs> um i guess you would say and he has a negative 21 catch probability which basically um looks at the difference between the expected catch percentage of the balls that are hit to him, which is about 86% versus the actual catch percentage that he's had on those balls, uh, which is 65%. Um, so those are both the worst in the league among outfielders. Um, and that's just looking at catching. The other defensive metrics that you can find on fan graphs um, uh, with the defensive run saved and the UZR, those are both below average, but they are a little bit better because they take into account his arm, which definitely is a plus. He has probably a top 10 arm in the majors. So it's it's sort of, you know, that balancing act that, yes, he does make a lot of mistakes uh, on his catches. We all see it. There's no denying it. You don't really need the advanced metrics to, to back that up. But his arm partly makes up for that. Um, because we have also seen that and that it, it is a, it is a plus tool for him. Um, so, you know, there overall, he, overall the defensive metrics say that he is below average. Um, but I am gonna, I'm going to kind of caveat that with the fact that, you know, a lot of the, the prospect scouting reports, they gave him, you know, a 45, a 50 grade that's on an, you know, a 2080 scale, um, with his fielding and his catching. And they gave him a, a plus. They gave him a 60 grade with his arm. So there is sort of this, you know, it, it does seem like he has the tools to get better. Um, he also is above average in sprint speed, sprint speed, according to StatCast. So, you know, he has that athleticism. And, you know, I just, I can't really figure it out. Um, you know, most of the stuff that we see that just looks awful on the on the TV is is basically his his diving. He likes to dive a lot. And I'm not sure if he's ever been really taught that sort of the best way to do it is to slide <laughs> when you're trying to make a catch like that. Um, so it, it's a little bit curious that the, the Yankees coaches have not um taught him that or I don't know if they've taught him and he just doesn't want to do it um and you know it, it does feel like he sort of does get some bad jumps or reads on the ball um and does it takes some curious routes to get to the ball so I think that you know what he sort of needs at this point it seems to me is that he just needs some coaching I mean he he does like I said he seems to have the tools to be to be at least an average fielder um, and with his plus R, that could make him an that could be an asset. So it seems like he needs some coaching. Um, and then you know, kind of weighing that against what his bat does. I mean, his bat is very good. People don't really realize this. Um, he, he's got his bat is about twenty percent above league average, which is terrific for a twenty-four-year-old outfielder. Um, and 
you know, kind of what you can do is you can look at how does his back compare? How many runs does his back create versus how many runs does he actually lose with his defense? And the numbers bear out that his bat creates far more runs than his defense actually loses runs. Um, and you can find those numbers on fan, both fan graphs and on baseball reference. So right now his bat has created about four runs and his defense has lost about one run. That's like just on a personal level. Um, so he's ending up as a, as a plus player. He's got a plus four, uh, wins above replacement in the mark. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so far the metrics are saying that his bat is outweighing, uh, his defenses lapses. I'm sure that a lot of people are going to disagree because a lot of the defensive stuff is pretty glaring. Um, and being in the outfield, when you misplay a ball, a lot of times it can turn into an extra base hit instead of an out. And that makes it a lot worse. Um, so I mean, my my inclination is kind of to just hope that he gets some better in uh, better coaching and uh, really, really works on his defense because his bat is, is pretty special. That's that's the hope I'm sure across all the Yankee fans. And on the flip side, when Gio Urshela came up, we, we knew he was supposed to be defensively gifted and he's been just as advertised um, one bad hop last week aside, of course, but that was, that was pretty nasty, but he's been absolutely spectacular over there at third base. And surprisingly, his bat has exceeded all expectations. Um, he, he's talked about some adjustments he made in the offseason to his swing. Do the underlying numbers sort of back up that Urshela could be this kind of player moving forward? Or do you think this is just him maybe having a lucky hot, hot streak and we could expect some regression? Yeah, this is this is a really good question. It is a hot topic because basically, he, I mean, he had never shown the ability to hit or to hit for, you know, to hit, 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 and just, and to hit for power. I mean, his numbers are pretty remarkable in that sense, in that parts of, uh, basically parts of three seasons that he had with the Blue Jays and Indians before, before this year, um, it was about 499 plate appearances, and he hit 225 with a 274 on base percentage and a 315 slugging. And so what that adds up to is basically um, a 57 adjusted OPS, which what it does is it's on a scale of zero to 100, 100 being average. So um, and it's adjusted for league and for for the for for park and for era. Uh, So he was 43 percent below the league average over 500 plate appearances before this year, Uh, which (laughs) that's not good at all. Um, That's that's pretty horrible. Um, and now his, his bat is well above average. Um, and, you know, a lot of the numbers actually say that he has earned what he has done this season. Um, one thing that we like to look at, you know, and that I, that I use a lot is the, a lot of the stat cast numbers, the exit velocities and the hard hit rates and the launch angles and things like that. Um, so, you know, you can look at his He's got a, what, a 333 average right now, I think. And he does have a 378 BABIP, which we talked about before, batting average on balls in play, which absolutely screams regression because the major league average for a player is uh, is 291. Um, and, you know, there are some signs that, that he may not be able to keep that up. 
I mean, he has done some some really good things um, this year compared to last year. He's reduced his strikeout rate, increased his walk rate. Um, he's actually increased his exit velocity uh, from about 87 over the last three seasons to 90.7 this year, which is going basically from below average to above average. And he's increased his hard hit rate remarkably um, a lot from about 31% to 41% this year. Um, so those are really good signs. Um, the two things that sort of, uh, you know, give me a little bit of, of pause, whether he can actually keep up this uh, high batting average on balls in play and this high batting average is that that hard hit rate, you know, he did imp- increase it, but it's not really elite. Um, and it's also his sprint speed is below average. Um, and those are two, us- those are usually the two things that will allow a player to keep up a high batting if they have a very good high, a very, very good um, hard hit rate and, uh, and are, are pretty fast. Um, so th- that's the negatives. So yes, it's probably going to come down just a little bit. Um, but on the positive side, on the flip side, there is actually some evidence that he has earned these numbers, um, which I think is pretty remarkable. So we talked about how his uh, batting average is, is 333 this season, which is very good. And using StatCast, his expected batting average, and that's looking at you know what the balls in play have done um, in terms of exit velocity and launch angle, is 330. So, I mean, that's an extremely small difference. And that 330 is, is the fifth highest in, uh, in the major leagues right now. Um, so he's, he's pretty much earned his batting average. Um, and also the differences when you look at the expected statistics in terms of his slugging and his uh, weighted on base average, which is another very good uh, catch-all offensive uh, statistic, um, the differences between his expected and his actual numbers are pretty small as well. Um, so to me, it's not just – he hasn't just been lucky. You know, he's definitely earned – what he has produced so far. Um, I think that he has a really good chance of keeping up that batting average, you know, in the 300-ish range. I think you'll see his power come down probably a little bit more um, just because we've already seen some regression with that. He's only had, I think it's two extra base hits in his last 13 games uh, heading into this Red Sox series. So the power may come down a little bit, the slugging number, but I think he can, he can maintain that high average. Um, and the real test, you know, is just going to kind of be seeing, um, you know, how he adjusts as the pitcher, as the pitchers adjust um, during the season and ultimately find some weaknesses because, you know, every player has weaknesses and it's whether the player can keep adjusting to how the pitchers adjust to him. That'll definitely be something that everyone keeps an eye on the rest of the year, though I think we'd all sign up for the maintained batting average if a little bit of power is sacrificed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but moving over to the rotation, Domingo Herman um, has kind of already started showing a little bit of, of regression. It's a small sample size, but 25 hits in his last 22 innings or something like that, and obviously the home run party the Royals had on him uh, over yeah. the weekend. So. You know, he's been such a force in the rotation, but would the numbers indicate that the Yankees should be concerned, especially given the fact that he hasn't thrown a full major league season yet in his career? Yeah, um, 
yeah, I've been looking into this because it it wasn't just that Royals game. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, the Royals, you know, it was that one game and he had one little blip. Um, and it was a little it was not a little blip. It was a large blip. Um, and it was just one terrible game. But like you said, you know, you you mentioned that 25, I think 25 hits in his last 22 innings pitched. He has been pretty shaky in three of his last four starts. Um, dating back to that uh, May 10th game at Tampa Bay. Um, And that was sort of when the home run regression bug really hit him. He allowed two homers in that game um, after he had only given up two in his first seven games, which that was pretty remarkable. And so now it's seven home runs in his last four games, like you said, over 22 innings. Um, And over those four games, his ERA is 5.32. Um, compared to 2.35 in his first seven. And, and the OPS numbers are, are really high. It's an 8.59 OPS um, in that in that span as well, compared to a 4.70 OPS that he had in his first seven games. Um, so he's really, you know, the struggles are there over these last four games. And I think that, you know, the regression we could have pretty much all seen coming at that point. Um, and, uh, it, it was pretty much at that point at heading into that May 10th start, if you had looked at his numbers, you probably should have expected something to happen because he was sporting a 204 Babbitt, uh, batting average on balls in play, which was the fourth lowest in the league, his homer to fly ball ratio. And these are all what sort of, you know, stat, stat, you know, stat people like to look at as, you know, sort of lucky or, you know, those luck statistics that are pretty difficult to maintain over an entire season. So I mentioned the 204 BAPIP. I also looked at his homer to fly ball ratio, and that relates to, you know, that home run, that very, very low home run total. It was 5.1%, and league average is about 10%. That was the seventh lowest in the league at that point. Um, And his his ERA we know was like one of the ten best in that league in at that point in the league is two point three ERA, but his expected FIP his expected uh, fielding imp- um, independent pitching mark was basically only middle of the pack it was about fiftieth in the majors at that point. So there were a lot of the peripherals were saying you know that he was gonna that he was gonna regress. Um, and a lot of the Statcast numbers actually backed that up. Uh, we turned, we talked uh, just a couple minutes ago about looking at expected stats versus actual stats, and his the differences between his expected stats and actual stats um, were were very large. They were top five in the majors at that point. Um, so basically, he was getting hit at a rate that he, you know, the quality of contact against him was not matching up with the with what the results were. Um, which was which was really good for the Yankees because the results were really good, but it did not portend well for what he was gonna, you know, what he had done beforehand. And in in the case of you know contrasting with what Gio had done, you know, you could say that Domingo Herman had not exactly earned all of those uh, all of those numbers, even though he was fantastic in those first seven starts. Um, so looking forward, I think that he definitely, you know, there's there's still a chance for him to make t- for turn to turn it around. Obviously, um, you know, he hasn't really 
you know, he had that, you know, his only really terrible start was against the Royals. The others uh, were, you know, not good. Um, and, uh, you know, the problems that I see um, in his last four starts is that his fastball and his changeup have both been getting hammered. His curveball has still been elite um, over these last four starts, which is a very good sign because he still has his, his curveball. Um, he's had, you know, the whiff percentage, uh, the batting average, the slugging percentage against are pretty much in line with what he had done in his first uh, seven starts. But the changeup and the fastball, I just want to throw out some numbers over his last four starts. A 389 batting average and 778 slugging against his fastball. And a 313 batting average and a 750 slugging against his changeup in those uh in those last four starts. And when you look at his first seven, um, it was a 200 batting average and a 277 slugging against his fastball and a 100 average and a 200 slugging against his changeup in those first seven starts. Um, so that gives me some, some concern. Some other concern is that I looked a little bit deeper into those and his changeup is getting less horizontal movement and his sinker is also getting about three fourths less horizontal movement um, than he over these last four starts, which is pretty critical because those two pitches, um, you need movement in order to make them work. Otherwise, they're just going to pretty much hang in the center of the plate in the center of the strike zone and players are going to tee off on them, which is what has been happening. Speaking of teeing off, uh, this is about a week old, but Glaber Torres against the Orioles is just too fun not to talk about. And he also hit a hit a home run yesterday against former Yankee legend Adam Warren. So, uh, just where does Glaber's dominance against the Orioles stack up historically with when it comes to one player against one team? I mean, it, at least watching him through this season, it seems like it's been a, a historical ownership of one team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's fun. I mean, these are all fun notes because it is, you know, a very small sample and it's one team and they are the Orioles, um, <laughs> which they are going to set probably more records than than Taurus will set. But we'll see. Um, so, yeah, so Taurus's numbers are just silly. I mean, he has it's 20 for 43. That's a 465 batting average in case you didn't know. Um, Ten home runs, three doubles a 540 on base percentage and, um, a 1233 slugging that's slugging. That's not OPS. That is a 1233 slugging. Um, so, uh, yes, ridiculous. And, uh, I'll just to put some, some perspective on this. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to start off with that slugging number. So 1233 slugging. Uh, I looked at this historically against any one team in one single season and it would actually be, I mean, who knows if he's going to maintain it, but if he does, maybe he doesn't play the rest of the season against the Orioles. Maybe he gets hurt. Well, hopefully that would be a bad thing, but um, it would be the highest for any player against one team in a single season um, with at least 50 plate appearances, <laughs> the highest against any team by one player. Um in case you're wondering, the next highest is uh, is David Justice against the A's in 2001. He had a 12-11 uh, slugging percentage um, against them. Uh, there's some other fun numbers in this top five list that I'm looking at here on Baseball Reference. 
Willie Stargell had a 12.05 uh, slugging percentage against the Braves in 71. And Sammy Sosa in 1998 had a 1.178 slugging against the Brewers. And Ken Giffrey Jr. in 1994 had a 1.159 uh, slugging against the Rangers. So those are some pretty good names to be uh, in the top five with right now, at least. Um, so that's the slugging. Uh he also has four multi-homer games, and um, according to our our friends at, at Stats Inc., um, he is the fourth player in Major League history to have four multi-homer games against the same team in the same season. Um, hasn't been done in about 60 years. <laughs> uh, these names you probably won't know, but uh, Roy Sievers, the 55 uh, Washington Senators against the Kansas City A's, Gus Zerniel, the 51 Philadelphia A's um, against the St. Louis Browns, who actually did become the Orioles a little bit later. And then Ralph Kiner um, on the 47 Pirates against the Boston Braves. Um, so those are some names that you no one probably knows. Maybe you know Ralph Kiner. I've, I've heard of him at least um, in terms of the multi-homer games. And then uh, the 10 homers, um, that's pretty significant as well. Um he is the fifth Yankee to have at least 10 homers against a single opponent um, since ex- in the expansion era. Because, you know, before expansion, players would t- play, I think, roughly, I think it was like 22, 23 games against teams. Now they only play 18 or 19. Um, so the most recent guy to do it was Judge, who had 11 against the Orioles in, in 2017 and 10 against the Blue Jays in 2017. Um so the other, that's the most recent Yankee to have 10 homers against a single opponent. Um, and if you're wondering, the major league record for home runs against one team in one season is 14. Um, and that's by Lou Gehrig against the Indians in uh, 1936. A Yankee, of course. So Glaber still has, I think it's, what is it, eight, eight more, eight, eight or nine more games um, against the Orioles to reach that. And, uh, I mean, absolutely, at the rate he's going, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I would, <laughs> I'd say I like his odds, given how yeah. he's hit so far. <laughs> All right, well, um, if that's that's Katie Sharp. Thanks so much for joining us. Anyone who is interested in awesome stats like this can follow her on Twitter and also catch her on the Talking Yanks podcast. Katie, thank you so much. All great stuff. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Having me on, guys, uh, anytime. All right, huge thanks to Katie Sharp. Again, if you want more great, insightful, advanced statistics like that, be sure to follow Katie Sharp on Twitter and hear her on the Talking Yanks podcast and hopefully on this podcast again soon. She's always uh, awesome to talk to to kind of validate what we feel we're seeing watching the games or maybe give us another way to look at things. But I think a lot of a lot of what she said kind of backs up what we've been seeing is you know, just to recap, Herman is starting to show some regression that was to probably be expected. Clint Frazier has been very bad in the outfield, but still his bat is making him uh, a somewhat productive player when you factor in both things. And Glaber Torres loves playing against the Orioles. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I definitely thought I was, most of my hypotheses were, were confirmed by what Katie said. But the one thing that surprised me was how much Clint Frazier has outweighed his terrible defense with good offense. And last night I was playing some numbers for a little project I was doing. And I was surprised to see that Clint Frazier has 0.8 wins above replacement in only 38 games, um, which is fairly, fairly good for the whole team. And, um, yeah, that, that just struck me as a surprise. And then when she, she brought that up, I'm like, well, I guess defensive lapses aren't as bad as, as we'd expect. But I guess just because you notice them more, it's something that's tough to deal with. But, um, yeah. And I think we, we all expect our shell is going to come back down to earth a little bit. But still, he's been phenomenal or worth over one win this season. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, tell me about this project you're working on over there. How do you see the rest of the season shaking out as as a whole well funny you should ask i did this yesterday just so you know before the win concluded when the yankees had a 35 and 19 record um with whatever their whatever their uh run differential was yesterday i took the pythagorean expectation you know the little formula that they do in Moneyball, and actually just like a funny note i'm gonna throw in there my sixth grade math book had the run expectancy pythagorean expectation <laughs> um, and I did it for the 98 Yankees and it came pretty close to what, um, what it was. And I, I accepted it and I still didn't like math back then, but somehow got my master's in statistics. Anyway, uh, as of yesterday, the Yankees had been 30, were 35 and 19 through 54 games. Um, but their Pythagorean win expectation was only a 629 winning percentage, which, um, would put them for the rest of the year at 103 wins. So, as things are currently constituted, if the Yankees continue with this run differential, we'd expect this team to have 103 wins, 102.9 to be exact, um, which is pretty good. Obviously, yeah, that's, good. that's the 2009 record right there. So here's the thing. Um, they're going to actually probably do better than that because you're going to have Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, and Didi Gregorius come back. Now, I'm not counting anything in pitching because that's so up in the air. So let's just assume the pitching produces the same amount of war throughout the rest of the year. So what I did was I looked at Aaron Judge's um, wins above replacement per game over Clint Frazier's. I looked at Judge over the um, over last season, not his uh, rookie year. I looked at John Carlos Stanton last year, not his MVP year. And I looked at Didi over the last two years. Um, and then I compared that to Clint Frazier uh, and Gardner for this year so far and Kendris Morales as well, because I would assume that when Judge and Stanton come back, you'd have them playing over Frazier and Gardner. And when Didi comes back, you would move one of those infielders um, to the DH spot on sort of a rotating basis. So by bringing Judge Stanton and Didi in over Frazier, Gardner and Morales, you're actually adding 4.9 wins, which would project the Yankees to finish at 107.8 wins. So 107 or 108 wins is probably what the expected win total would be. And I call this project portals because the portals are going to open up like an end game. Um, <laughs> this is the projected lineup. I have Hicks, Judge, Didi, Sanchez, Stanton, Torres, Voigt, LeMahieu, and then either Urshela or Gardner. Because you figure you would get an outfielder arrest one day in DH one of them, and then uh, an infielder another day in DH one of them. So I mean, with how they've started, it's looking like a hundred and eight win team potentially. What do you think about that? 
Do you see uh, any flaws in my logic? First, first reaction is, does that factor in the likely increased quality of opponent coming up? Because the Yankees have, I mean, they have won two series against the Rays, which has been fantastic. But I also feel like that they have had a lot of games against the Orioles. Uh, and obviously are going to have more games against Tampa Bay, Boston, Houston. So um, I feel like maybe the quality of opponent is going to improve as the season goes on in some stretches. But again, I also feel like that might cancel itself out because as those come up, so will reinforcements that you mentioned in Judge and Stan, Didi, etc. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't have a master's in statistics, so who am I to offer a, re- a rebuttal? I well, <laughs> you, did, you, you did offer a good one that concerns me because, you know, May was a pretty easy month, but in June we play the Red Sox twice. The Blue Jays, Indians, Mets, White Sox, and Blue Jays again, all of which are about 500 teams figure, like right around 500, and then also mix in the Rays and Astros, who are obviously very good. Um, So the quality of competition is definitely going to improve in June, um, and not, you know, July, we got to go to Minnesota and everything like that. So while the competition does get better, I'd also expect the rotation to get better as well. If they get Keuchel, Severino is said he hasn't felt uh, pain in two days, so or uh, two weeks, so he should be better. All right, great. Well, uh, I would say that we would all sign up for your uh, for your uh, research and findings. There, a one hundred and eight win season would definitely uh, be enough to win the division and likely clinch home field advantage throughout the playoffs, especially with the Astros getting a little banged up recently with injuries to George Springer and Carlos Correa, which which I I just feel like I need to touch on real quick. Carlos Correa has a fractured rib, which he said he suffered by getting a massage. Did John Heyman really tweet talk about an unhappy ending? I I wouldn't be surprised, (laughs) but I I didn't see that. I I was going to say maybe Jamie Lannister was giving the massage with like this (laughs) golden hand that he just crushed and <laughs> crushed one of his ribs but that is bizarre that i i do i would not want to be that masseuse yeah that um that's quite embarrassing but um yeah i, I mean a lot of weird stuff going around in baseball tim anderson got hit again yesterday and uh, i'm like the second pitch of his uh, yeah oh yeah so yeah, I don't know. That's a weird, weird way to get hurt. But um, even though it's better for the Yankees, you know, in terms of especially because the Astros are playing coming here soon, it stinks because fun player to watch. And um, I know it's kind of the Astros have been so good for the last three years that maybe we don't want to watch them anymore. But they're a fun team. I mean, let's just face it. It's just it's fun watching teams that are that good. And uh, we'll be right up there with them. Yeah, especially if your uh, your theories come to come to fruition. But um, other than that, I mean, I, I think what we're looking forward to this weekend would be the Red Sox series. I would I would imagine, right? I think we could make this a quick one. But I'm looking forward to watching some Yankees Red Sox for a full weekend and, and going to the game on Saturday. Yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of hoping we get a bullpen day on Saturday. Um, that would be kind of cool to see an opener game, and they've done pretty well with them. So I'd be interested to see that. Um, obviously, we're going to see Rick Porcello pitch, who's had some success at Yankee Stadium. Um, but it should, it should be a good game on Saturday, I hope. And, yeah, I'm excited for a little Yankee Red Sox. I remember the last time the Red Sox came in, we were all, like, down, and, and I'm, I was ready to jump off the bridge. 
And I went on my big rant, and they've been awesome since then. And um, the Red Sox have improved after they left the Yankee Stadium. So um, they were in even more dire straits than we were. So I'm excited to have a have a series four game set when both teams are playing pretty well. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, other than that, I'm really looking forward to seeing the new Godzilla movie, even though it's got only so so reviews. I'm going tonight in IMAX, so I'm pumped for that. Yeah, I'm going to go tonight, too. I'm going to catch a late movie by myself because no one else will go that late because no one else works a schedule like me. But I don't care. Derek Jeter goes to the movies by himself, so I'm going to do the same thing. And I'm really excited for this movie. I don't care about the Rotten Tomatoes score. It just seems like one of those movies that would have a low Rotten Tomatoes score, even if the movie is entertaining. There's nothing wrong going to a movie by yourself. I saw – so what I always do with Star Wars is I always go, like, opening night with – well, my wife and, and usually dad, and then I'll go again by myself in IMAX or something like that after the crowds thin out a little bit, and then I'll yeah. you know, take whoever else. You know, so it's nothing nothing wrong with that. I enjoy it actually. There's no talking in a movie anyway, so yeah, I just exactly. Lounge out on a leather seat, but um, yeah, I'll be going to see that after the after the Yankee game's over. Hopefully, a Yankee win, and, and hopefully, a Yankee series win. It would be a uh, it would be pretty fantastic to come back and record next week if the Yankees had taken three out of four of, of this series. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, I, hopeful. But like you were saying before, really, series could, every game could go either way. Um, so it'll be an interesting series. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to predict the split here, but we'll see. Yeah, we will see, and we hope everyone enjoys it. And a huge thanks once again to Katie Sharp for joining us. Great, great stuff, and. Um, yeah, everyone enjoy the series this weekend, and hopefully the Yankees are still in first place when we come back next week. And until then, and enjoy more baseball, and we'll see everybody in a week. See you later, everybody. Let's go Yanks.